Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, Fried fans. I am so excited to bring you something today that I know that you're actually going to find useful, that you'll be able to take something that you learned today and actually put it into practice in your life and make everything easier. Because today we are talking to Dan Sykes. Is that the correct pronunciation of your name? That's it. All right. Dan Sykes, who is an entrepreneur, filmmaker, body worker, and founder of the Somatic Training Network. We talk about somatic work a lot on this podcast, so you know I'm excited about this. The Somatic Training Network is a company dedicated to learning and sharing somatic arts and practices from around the world. Dan has studied somatic arts with instructors all over the world. He built and runs the world's only world-class recording studio that is also a video production center and somatic arts training center, which I believe is in Maine. That's correct, right? That's correct. And in this uh, training center, he records his fast-growing YouTube show, Energetic Fish Party. Dan is currently working on his upcoming book, Somatic Fanatic, which the title is just too good. This uh, Actually, Somatic Fanatic, it just came out. Oh, good. Uh, okay. So, so by I, the, when this, we filled this we out. We this a while ago. Great. Uh, so I'm very excited. And I think the, the theme of the book is really right up your alley in particular in a show about overcoming burnout because uh, my burnout was the big one. The book is about how I overcame a full-blown midlife crisis, which I think is maybe one of the kings of burnout scenarios. Yeah. So I think I'm right exactly in the right place as a guest here. I'm thrilled to hear that. So we always start fried episodes, fried guest episodes with the guest's burnout story. So we want to hear about this midlife crisis and fried fans tend to really enjoy the dirt. So please feel free to dig into as as deep as you are willing to go. Please feel free to go there because it makes people feel less alone, more seen. And and because we have such a large predominance of women that listen to the podcast, we're so focused sometimes on our own burnout that we forget how the men in our lives are feeling. So I think it will be important to, to see that other side. Yeah. Well, my um, midlife crisis really was it took me by surprise because I really led a life uh, that I thought I was trying to prevent a midlife crisis. I've led a life of a lot of adventure, a lot of development, a lot of creativity. I started really in the performing arts in my youth. I sang in Carnegie Hall when I was 10 years old. I went to boarding school for choir school. So I was very musically oriented. Um, 
then I wanted to, my dream as a youth was to play drums for Frank Zappa, which, who plays weird but very difficult music to play. So I spent the first 20 years of my life in lots of music lessons, theater lessons, acting lessons, all this kind of stuff. Um, then I fell in love with making films um, and went to NYU film school and tried to get a film career going and was in a cycle of working for a year, saving up money, and then trying to spend a lot of time getting film projects off the ground. During one of these cycles, I met the woman who would be my uh, first wife, and we were together 22 years total. I met her in Russia, and uh, when I was over there living and working in Moscow in 1993. Um, and over the course of time, um, I was making films. She was developing this little company and it got to the point seven years later where I knew the kind of films I wanted to make. Um, I, I was not going to be able to make, I'd spent four years working on a documentary, we uh, which we were able to sell, but we made really beginners mistakes as producers and on the legal end of things. Um, NYU is great for telling you like how to make movies, but the business end of it was almost completely absent. So after four years of work, we couldn't deliver the movie uh, to the people that wanted to buy it from us. So it was four years of work down the drain. I tried to get another thing going um, and it didn't happen. And I came to the point where my wife said, I can really, I can either make a life with you or you can keep making films, but it's too many years of this uncertain thing yeah. and I can't do it. So I loved her. I wanted to make a, a, a family with her. So I helped her with her business and brought in a friend of mine and the three of us became partners and over 12 years grew her um, American Russian dating website uh, from a little thing in a back bedroom to having 250 full-time employees. and. Uh -huh was grossing 110 million a year when we sold out to our, our partner who wanted to expand worldwide. And we were established with our kids in Maine at that point and weren't up for another big adventure. So we sold out and, um, but, and I went back to filmmaking. I wrote, produced, directed, and starred in a feature film. It was another four years of my life. Um, and we shot the whole thing in Russia and, um, by no coincidence, at the end of that four years, um, I couldn't get a distributor for the film. And Elaine, uh, my first wife wanted out, wanted a divorce. And um, so this was a long drawn out divorce. We have a huge house. I lived in an apartment trying to like do the polite divorce for three years. And then uh, I think I was trying to do it politely and she was trying to hope it wasn't actually going to happen. And then mm -hmm. when it actually happened, it turned into a very war-like divorce. So yeah, I yeah. found myself at 45 years old. I, my whole life I had lived in my head. It was music. It was performance, writing, words. I was obese, probably 50 pounds heavier than I am now, my whole life. Um, and now I'm getting divorced and the my film career that I thought I was going to get a second swipe at was clearly not going to happen in a way that felt meaningful to me um, without risking, you know, I had sold my company. So I, I was like what I call dentist rich. Like I, I could <laughs> fish and sit on the back porch and never have to work again, but I wanted to make movies. And I realized that that either means me becoming somebody's employee 
after three decades of not being anybody's employee, or it means me blowing what money I have. So that road's not open. So I didn't just feel burnout. I felt in every way, I'm a middle-aged guy. I'm overweight. I'm divorced. Is my love life over? Is my, or my dreams over? Is the, the whole thing? Is this now just me sitting around waiting to die? So the real burnout. Let's Have, slow down on that sentence for a second. Yeah. It's, you know, the midlife crisis to me is when you come to feel that the world is still in the midst of having this party of being alive and you're no longer invited. And yet you're looking at another 30 or 40 years of being around the planet. That's what midlife crisis felt like to me. Yeah, that gives me chills. And I know that there's a lot of people in my audience that can relate to this feeling of getting to the point where, you know, you, you get so far in your life and you think, oh my God, am I going to really do this for the next 30, 40 years. And sometimes there's that, that like the financial sort of freedom that you had. And sometimes that financial freedom is really not there is really, really absent. So that, but it's just like, am I going to slog at this job or am I going to, whatever it happens to be, am I going to do this for the next friggin' 30 years? And what, where is the, the meaning, you know, because I think this is, we can slog away at anything there. There's people who, want to carve, um, you know, little (laughs) micro, uh, statues out of, uh, pieces of human hair with special machines. And like, that's all they want to do, but that gives them meaning that makes them feel like they are expressing themselves and they are, uh, imprinting themselves on the world in a meaningful way. And I, got into this limited thinking that's very common for people in their late forties and early fifties of feeling like, um, I walked away on my dreams in my mid twenties to make a life with someone. And now I'm in my forties trying to, to reclaim that. And it's too late. The die is cast. And now who am I, if I'm not this, then, then what else is left? And, um, So I found myself in such, um, I had always perceived myself as someone with a very low tolerance for pain. I had perceived myself as someone very physically weak. Um, and and, And during the course of making this film in Russia, I had met a bunch of retired Russian special forces uh, guys uh, training in a martial art called Sistema which is a nervous system based martial art. As I came to realize that they do lots and lots of stuff to deal with fear and anxiety and physical releasing of muscular tension in the body. They do it very quickly. It's a military art. So it's, it's not very pleasant all the time, the way they do it, but, um, and they have a special form of body work, which I'm now certified in, um, where they use tools, uh, sticks that they drive into the musculature. Uh, they use heavy whips that they hold like in a loop, almost like a, like a rug beating tool. Uh, so they use impact and, and certain types of impact, certain types of strikes to uh, help people confront fear and learn techniques of breathing and moving your attention around your body um, to overcome panic and to release deep inner tension. And their, their theory is that most people are carrying around 
a mountain of permanently contracted muscles. It all comes to feel normal in us. And I think many people listening to this podcast have no concept, the magnitude of permanently clenched muscles you have in your body right now that you're oblivious to this fact. The first thing the Russians do is they beat you. Um, and they, they beat you in this certain way that advertises to you how much of your body is permanently contracted, especially around the bones, like deep inside. And uh, by middle age, most of us are in this state. And uh, I was in such elongated pain through all this uh, emotional distress that I finally decided after knowing about this intense body work for three years, I went to Paris to a martial arts seminar and uh, this guy, one of the top masters in the world was on the side of the gym doing this stuff to people. And I saw that it wasn't, people weren't running away. They weren't freaking out. And I was in so much angst. I, I, I must've been staring at him because at the end of the day, he walked past 150 people. He came up to me and took me by both shoulders and just told me, he's just, you want massage. <laughs> and uh, he didn't ask me. He said, and I said to him, um, well, yes, I do want this, but I got to be honest, I'm afraid. And and he, Alexi is so jolly, and he just laughed, the Santa laugh. And he said, no, my friend, our grandmaster says today is new day for Sistema. Not so much screaming, not so much crying for everyone. Come, come you come. And, and he gave me the first one. And then I went to visit him. And I received one of these every day for three weeks. And it completely changed my life. And yet, like you were telling me about many people in your listenership, the experience is so intense that as I was flying home reborn and, you know, just like I, I said, who can I share this with in my real life? And as soon as that question was in my mind, I knew the answer was no one. There, there was not a single person who would go for this because I knew about it for three years and I wouldn't go anywhere near it until I was in such an extreme state of angst that I was something had to give. And that disturbed me. I just was like, wow, you know, the, the benefit versus the inaccessibility of how much pain there is, how little people know that this even exists. I just frustrated me. I was just like, this doesn't make sense. So I started wondering, is the pain necessary for, for this quick release of tension? Must it be pain? And if so, what is the pain doing that my yoga classes are not doing? Why do I feel so much faster release of deep inner tension through these techniques? Because I, I had been doing yoga about a year at, at that point. That was my first step toward exercise. I was so hostile to the word exercise from my youth. I couldn't even think of that word. When I was doing yoga, I had to keep telling myself, I'm not exercising. I'm, I'm, I'm just moving. I'm just moving. I had come to associate exercise as a thing adults make kids do against their will. Like that word was very mm. hot. That sounds traumatizing. So, uh, so I started getting curious about um, what are these intense techniques doing that gentle ones aren't. Eventually I came to reverse that question years later is what are the gentle techniques giving that the martial techniques are not. What I came to find out, I, I started studying with all kinds of masters. I joined the four-year Feldenkrais Method uh, mm -hmm. Professional Practitioner Program and really feel that in many ways, Feldenkrais Method, which is 
completely gentle, only in the parasympathetic, much more gentle than yoga. Um, I came to realize that there's really three um, uh, intensity levels that you can train your nervous system in. And just to be clear, I'll back up. Training your nervous system, you can only do one thing to train your nervous system, is learn to physically feel more. Now, the benefits are better movement, more ease, but what you're learning to do is feel, actually. Uh, and you do this, I'm going to skip to the end, to the conclusions I drew, and then I'll backtrack a little bit, that the nerve that we have, our nervous system makes habits. We have two kinds of habits we make. We have habits of ideas that are formed for efficiency, and we have habits of movement that are made, that we organize a series of muscles contracting and releasing in relationship to our bones and our structure set against gravity so we can move with the greatest efficiency. But um, we make habits because we cannot survive if we, have, if we don't learn anything. Unfortunately, just like in the world of neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis, where you uh, get what they call limiting beliefs uh, that can be overwritten by new beliefs, uh, any limiting belief you have in your head is useful at the time your nervous system creates it. it it's serving some protective purpose generally, but it becomes outdated. It, it gets kind of locked in to repeating as a habit. And now you have ideas that you had when you were five years old and you're 35 and you go to a hip, hypnotist that can help you create a better, more updated idea. The same exact process is happening with movement as well and, and contraction of muscles. And so on top of that, when we experience trauma and we don't have a chance to process it, and that's a whole other world of discussion, we retain some, when we experience trauma, we generally react by tightening certain muscles. Um, we learn that over time during the civilizing process. If a three-year-old falls down the stairs, three-year-olds react to surprise and discomfort by letting go. They expand, they fall down the stairs, they fall like a rag doll, they don't get hurt. By the time you're 15, 25, 35 years old and you fall down the stairs, you tighten up to that surprise and now you break your elbow, you break your leg, whatever the case might be. So in many ways, as we learn to feel in this world of somatic arts, and I consider somatic arts any art that trains the nervous system, whether it's an ancient art or a modern art, um, when we're training the nervous system, we are learning the way infants learn. We're not learning with the logical part of our brain. We're learning through feeling. Now, in Feldenkrais movement, they call it awareness through movement, but you're moving. Everybody can just try this as they're listening. Try to keep your hand at your side and just feel your right shoulder. Just try to physically feel the outside, the skin, the inside. Try to get a sense of the where the arm is physically connected, where the bone and joint is. And now keep feeling it and very slowly raise your hand. And I mean very slowly, 25% of the speed that you normally think of. Keep feeling the shoulder. Now there's work happening. There's gravity going against it. I can feel my shoulder more because I'm moving. So when we're teaching ourselves to feel, the reason we move is it generates more feeling in the thing we're trying to feel. So we're, we're moving not 
to move better. We're moving to illustrate the physical reality of what's happening in that body part to our nervous system. Because the reason we retain all this chronic tension that we're all, that we all have, whether we realize it or not, I call it the invisible cage of tension, mm -hmm. is because our nervous system has forgotten how to feel these muscles. And as it forgets how to feel them, it forgets that it can let go. There, that anytime you're walking around with any muscle cell that's contracted, that's an active command. The, like a spring, a muscle cell uh, in its relaxed state is long and in its energized state is short. But there's a big difference between muscle cells and springs. I'm not going to get into fascia. Fascia is what help, has the muscles. Do We're not the, doing the, actin and myosin right, and all that but, today. But the big difference <laughs> And what's important when we're talking about overcoming burnout through training your nervous system, the muscle cells cannot partially contract. They have two positions only, fully long or fully short. So the difference between picking up a piece of paper and a bowling ball is not how much we're squeezing the muscle cells. It's how many muscle cells are we using. And to you, and we can never consciously create all those commands necessary. There is no way. It's hundreds of thousands of commands uh, over the course of a minute just to do the most simple movement. So all we can do is feel more. And nature provides us this way. Our nervous system is creating these habits. So I know how to raise my arm. If I raise my arm quick, I'm going to raise my arm with that same organizational pattern I've been using for 10 years. But nature has provided all of us this natural way of overriding habit and training the nervous system to feel. And that's by doing two things simultaneously. No matter what discipline you're using, yoga, tai chi, anything, you move very, very slowly and you focus your attention on the physical feeling at the same time. And what this does is two things. Slow motion movement makes it impossible for you to use habit. You cannot fire your habit. If I raise my hand over 30 seconds, I cannot use habits. And two, it elongates how much information your nervous system can analyze because you're stretching that time out, your arms hanging in the air, it's having to do work for a longer period of time than normal. So given the fact that we have this natural capacity, which every discipline in the world feels that their founder discovered for the first time, and they're all wrong. <laughs> this is a natural capacity humans have been discovering all over the world you know, for way longer than there's been history, recorded history. There's six factors at play. You can train your nervous system to feel more very gently. You can train your nervous system to feel more actively. I would, I would say the gentle... Uh, disciplines would Feldenkrais would certainly be in there where there's nothing that's not completely gentle, absolutely gentle. Then you move into the world of um, maybe Tai Chi would probably be about the end of that gentle line. Then you get to yoga um, where you can really work up a sweat. You're still moving in slow motion, but now you're in an active role. Many forms of somatic dance would fall into this category. And then you have the vigorous level of training, which is some forms of dance. And certainly the martial arts that are concerned with the nervous system all fall into that range. So you have three factors there, gentle, active, or vigorous types of training. 
And then you have three uh, categories of sensation you can focus on the physical feeling of. You can focus on ease, which is very popular. Uh, how do I do the same motion with less effort every time? And what can I feel if I'm raising my arm? What feels easeful to me would be sort of maybe in my armpit area for me right now as I'm doing it uh, feels very easeful. I can also focus on tension. This is where a lot of the martial arts are, are focused. I, I raise my arm again and I'm feeling which muscle is doing more work than it should. I'm feeling the burn. I'm feeling the tension. And uh, so you can feel that or you can feel pleasure. What in this same motion feels delicious? As I raise my arm up, I can feel my ribs spreading apart as my hand goes way up. That feels very delicious to me. And you can take turns and some disciplines focus more on tension, some focus more on ease, some focus more on pleasure, but really most of them at some point um, over the course of training, even if they're usually focusing on ease, sometimes an instructor will have you focus on tension instead. Sometimes they'll focus on what they, what most dis say, what most disciplines say, feel what is delicious. And that's another kind of less charged word than pleasure. A, a lot of times you don't use the word pleasure in teaching because it has connotations that take people out of it. So yeah. we say what feels delicious in that movement. So between the three levels of intensity you can train, sorry, between those three levels of intensity and the three things you can focus on, you really have nine formats of nervous system training. You can do gentle focusing on tension, pleasure or ease, intermediate tension, ease and vigorous. And what I try to tell people who are burned out, who are overwhelmed, what I entered what I took into my life that started me out of this downward spiral of thinking, which was completely an illusion. But now I'm 56 and my work life is better than it ever has been. My family life is better than it's ever been. My creative life, my, uh, my sex life, everything is the best it's ever been. And, uh, and I mean magnitudes better not just a little bit better. So I realized over time it is an illusion. And the beginning for me was to start moving and dealing with my body in a way that was not about competition, that was not about a chart where I did 12 and now by next Wednesday, I need to do 14 of anything. But where I learned once again to lead everything I do, curiosity first, where instead of me um, pushing myself to accomplish, I got curious of what might be possible in every area of my life. And it started by my yoga teachers and then my Sistema teachers and then my Feldenkrais teachers just hammering this into me that you can have general goals in a very loose way when you're training your nervous system, but your nervous system is not gonna fill out charts for you. It's not gonna do it. It will refuse to do this. Your nervous system wants to be enticed. It wants to be invited to glimpse a possibility of itself. 
Um, you want to set yourself up in any form of learning where you are stacking the deck, you're cheating reality in favor of setting up a series of small victories. That's what your nervous system responds to, winning. That's what we all respond to is winning. Small winning. Small winning. Small, small winning. winning. Where, and you don't care about the big winning. You have to let it go you, because we are recapturing our ability to learn the way an infant does. There's a great video somewhere on YouTube. I really highly recommend. I don't know what it's called, but it's babies rolling over on their stomach for the first time. Type that in. We watched it in Feldenkrais. We saw a series of 12 or 20 babies. For the very first time, they're rolling over from their back to their stomach. And every single one of them is completely surprised. <laughs> they're almost there. They're almost there. And then they finally get there. But they're not trying to roll over on their stomach. They're, they're holding their hand up and feeling how light it is in the chest. And they're enjoying how delicious that is. And then, boop, they're on their stomach. And they're like, wow, what, what was that? That's the way our nervous system wants to learn um, in, in a, a safe but challenging environment. And so I encourage people who are used to, you know, many people who are burned out, me included, you reach toward the gentle arts because you know, I just can't take anymore. It's just in so, the kids and the business partner and the bills and the everything. Like, I can't take one more thing. I was exactly the same way. I felt weak. I felt vulnerable. I felt like I couldn't take one other thing. And I started with yoga and it definitely gave me a different sense of myself. Yeah. But it really took me for the first time in my life, mixing the gentle art at the same time I was going into the martial world because the martial world is very good at giving you little safe test tube examples of taking you into panic and overwhelm and teaching you certain martial arts that are nervous system based, do this, teaching you techniques to get that panic down, to get back in control. So at least you can decide things and move. So what and, it sounds like there's, yep. there's been a lot that just happened. So I, I want to make sure that we, that we recap a couple of things so that people are, sure. are, are mm -hmm. still with us. And it sounds like there's a few things here that are really important. And I want you to correct me if, I go off track. One of them is that there are various ways that we can feel through our nervous system, right? You're talking about these as, as three different components as we, we can feel through um, ease, we can feel through tension, or we can feel through pleasure slash deliciousness. Mm -hmm. And that some combination of those things is what will help our nervous systems to reset. So if we talk a lot about on the podcast about nervous systems that are stuck in sympathetic mode, right? That are not able to go into parasympathetic mode. And which is why so many people reach for the gentle because we're looking for that parasympathetic state in order yep. to be able to recover. But what you're saying is that what you found is that the, this combination of going into the sympathetic with a sense of curiosity and being able to draw yourself out of the parasympathetic. So being able to sort of create that in and out movement, that integration part of it, the, the yin turning into yang or the yang turning into yin in this, in, this, um, in this aspect, part of it is the thing that will help create, and, and I'm, I'm expanding on your words. So if this is not correct, please let me know, but that 
creates an expansion of your resilience because when you get to places that are scarier, more stressful, more intense, you have now learned how to move through that in a way that is beneficial for your nervous system instead of getting stuck there out of fear for what it might feel like because you've been curious about what it feels like, about the sense of it. Absolutely. You said it exactly right. I mean, many people who are in any kind of pain and and burnout, I think is certainly partially fear-based that I don't enjoy my life and I don't see an end to, to this chapter yeah. anytime soon. I, I yeah. feel trapped. Yeah. So there's fear in there. And many people uh, wind up fearing their fear that that they're mm. afraid to say they're afraid they're afraid to admit that they feel afraid it's not so much i my fear that my life is not going to change there's a fear of even saying that to yourself you know and and so you're um you're compounding the problem and many of us when a, a little bit of pain whether it's psychological like the person who pushes your buttons you're getting a little taste, but your imagination goes to the full-blown version of that, and you react at that level. That's when we're really getting triggered, we say, by people that they, yeah. they there's some kind of scenario that's repeated so many times, and I'm susceptible to it, or more so than anybody in certain cases, and then a little thing shoots you through the roof because you see it, and I used to react that way to physical pain. Mm. We use an acronym that maybe lots of people do called fear, future events appearing real. And I would have this thing where I'd be convinced somebody's going to do something and it's going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And then this, like in a micro second, this little uh, circle starts happening where you think it's going to hurt because you're afraid, you tense your muscles up a little more, a little more pain comes and in a, a microsecond, your nervous system saying, yeah, I told you it was going to hurt more. And then you tense more and then the same thing happens. And I told you, you it was going to hurt more. Yeah. You react to a pain level that you're imagining. It, it's that is about to happen. And this and is psychological and physical, both. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I was a victim of this. Like no matter how much pain I was feeling, I was convinced it was about to become intolerable in like a, a microsecond. Which creates then an avoidance factor, which means that you never face anything, which means that you never gain the knowledge that you can make it through things. And when you don't gain the knowledge that you can make it through things, you have more of a belief that you can't make it through anything. So you, so the pain gets bigger and you avoid more. And then, so this is this in, in positive psychology, this is the difference between a downward um, somatic spiral and an upward somatic spiral, right? So, and both of these things work both of these things work. Negative spirals work and take us down and positive spirals work and take us up. And you're saying that curiosity helps us have a positive spiral, which I am. I, I love curiosity. I think curiosity overcomes prejudice. Curiosity overcomes judgment. And that is not just toward the outside world. It's toward your opinion of yourself as well. Mm. Curiosity helps you get around prejudging others and prejudging yourself by just being curious of what might I do today. And today's not yesterday. I did 12 yesterday, but you know what? I woke up, I've got a headache and I'm only doing seven today. And I did seven today. 
and not have this story of, oh no, and the chart said 12 and I only did seven. And, you know, this, that kind of training is effective in a lot of things. Uh, that which is measured can be improved. That which is measured and recorded can be improved exponentially. We all know this, but the West is obsessed with this. Mm. We only think of wellness and health as being on a chart, as being I'm training for the big game. In the martial arts world, I'm training 17 years. So when that street fight that I'm more than likely <laughs> never going to be in happens, I'm ready for it. Um, you know, but there is such a thing as moving the way a child does because it feels good to move and only for that reason. And just to enjoy um, the spaciousness, to enjoy how complex we are. When, when I go through all uh, training, how many types of movement have been created between the dance world and, and the martial arts world, it's nearly endless. When you see, when you find places in your body that have been completely seized, like I have for, for decades, maybe my whole life, I remember feeling like it's amazing I can walk. Yeah. You know, there's so much of my legs are completely inoperable. And yet it was weird how I learned at 48 years old that I didn't know how to walk. And I've been walking for 46 years. You know, and you say, how can this be that I don't know how to walk? And I'm walking like every, every day. But we have so many options. We are such an amazing instrument that we have endless options. So I think of, of somatic training, training the nervous system. I encourage people to view it not as a sport, but view it as food or music. You know, of course... In food or music, you're looking for the, your cuisine or your genre that's your home base genre. I encourage people, find a discipline that speaks to you so you'll do it. But you have to look at nervous system training like you're at a wedding. Of course, you choose the chicken, beef, or fish for your main course. But when the waiter walks around with the hors d'oeuvres, you take them. That's what makes it a party. And your nervous system feels the same way. So if you're a yoga person... Go to a contact improv class, take some martial arts once in a while. I mean, everybody only has so much time. Do a Qigong class, find, find your cousin who lives on the other side of town, who does some other kind of um, nervous system training and join them sometimes. Do, we don't have to join a team. We don't have to choose. These are all here like, like music and food for our benefit, all of it. And there's no, none of them are better or worse than another. They're all just different. They, they are, they're using this same combination of slow motion movement and moving your attention at this natural means to overwrite habit in our nervous system, but they all do it with different flavors. They focus on different outcomes. Certainly the Systema guys, they're focusing all this for combat. Yeah. The Feldenkrais people are focusing all this for kids who can't walk right and people with cerebral palsy and people with multiple sclerosis and really serious neurological problems, people that have been in horrible car accidents, yoga, you know, there's so many variations that is like, um, Yoga is like saying jazz. There's so many. Well, it's the uh, same as saying Qigong, to be honest. <laughs> same thing. So yeah. all, all of these disciplines have what they call, um, is it called, it's not called legacy. What, what, what the, when it's handed lineages. down, the lineage, they have the lineage 
And the lineage is wonderful, and it's great to pay respect to those who dedicated their lives to codifying a system of movement. But the truth is, we have an inherent capability of moving in slow motion and putting our attention to the physical feeling of it, where you don't literally need a discipline. It makes it easier because someone's thought a whole way of doing it out. And there's a community that you can share in the experience because the, the key is to do it. Um, but even if you're moving around in a completely improvised way in slow motion and feeling it in more and more detail and in more and more places on your body over time, um, that is the natural capacity that every single one of these disciplines does. The reason they've never been known until now, when I figured out this three-word phrase, nervous system training, this phrase never existed. And I was very frustrated why none of these masters could tell me. I would say, well, what are you doing? What is this? What is yoga? Wow, this is so Western. And this idea, what is it? Define it for me. That's, that's yeah, not, what is that's it? not And they Eastern all told thought. me there is no way to define it. They were all telling me there's no way to define it. And the Western yeah. man in me felt that this is unacceptable answer. And <laughs> what I came to realize is that they were wrong. You can define it. It is nervous system training. The reason most disciplines don't call it that is because they were invented thousands of years before the nervous system, nervous system as we know was. it was discovered. So it's not in their nomenclature, but that is in fact what all these disciplines are involved in, in different yeah. ways. I think it's not uh, in their nomenclature. I also think that it's not always the, when you say nervous system training, you can focus it on that and you can make that your center of awareness. But when it comes to anything that falls into the Qigong categories or anything that falls into the yogic categories, the goal isn't physical. So it's, it, it is a nervous system training, but the goal is spiritual. Right. But, right. But my question was not to them. What is the goal? I, I was saying, what, what is, what are we engaged in? Yeah. And no one could answer that. They all yeah, just, but they're engaged in spiritual practices. <laughs> right. And, you know, and that, uh, from my point of view as a marketer and somebody wanting to bring it to the West, my feeling is that when the culture of origin is too exotic and alienating to someone that who's right in front of me who could benefit from the work. I have no hesitation in throwing the culture of origin in the back room for a little while. And oh, there's going to be some people that are going to be real mad about cultural appreciation. Appreciation. Well, everybody can appreciate it, but appropriation. If, if, I mean, but if culture, if if exoticness keeps somebody from the work, because the work is what is of benefit. Mm. Who invented it doesn't really matter. The work and the benefit of the work is what is important to bring to people. And if they get interested in a certain discipline, then all that richness of history is there for them. My approach at Somatic Training Network is for many people, the Russians are too Russian, the Indians are too Indian, the Feldenkrais people are too scientific, the uh, somatic uh, Social touch disciplines are too sexy. Everybody's too much. So my approach in my company and leading people as a matchmaker toward people and appropriate disciplines for them is to put all those cultures of origins in the back room and talk to them about nervous system training and create uh, campaigns aimed at certain kinds of people. We have sub 
um, brands that we use. Our platform is called somaticlab.live. We have live and on-demand training at somaticlab.live, but we don't advertise somaticlab.live anywhere. We advertise PainWorks with an X for people with trauma recovery. We advertise WellWorks with an X for seniors, smart move for uh, athletes and movement people and high-performance movement people, and de-stress for people who are experiencing a lot of anxiety and want to use movement training and nervous system training to, to calm themselves down. And we lead them through this custom conversation into an arena of all the disciplines. But we, my company, we create a what we call a persuasive argument that training your nervous system for you, mother of three with the sore back, you collegiate athlete, you 85 year old whose balance is going and you're afraid you're gonna fall, you the person who just got in an auto accident and your knee still hurts and it's two years later and you don't know what to do about it, how nervous system training can help you. And then we systematically say you, and actually there's a lot of people like you, and you're actually part of a community and bing, bing, bing. And we lead them into this arena of all the disciplines where we have instructors who are welcome from every discipline to present the way they would train that type of client. And we lead everybody into an arena of here's what all the disciplines have to offer you. Let's help you find disciplines and instructors you connect with. So you'll actually start three times a week at a minimum to move, not for strength, not for endurance, but for the sole purpose of training your nervous system and, and, and having this clear idea in the West that nervous system is as crucial a part of wellness as nutrition or strength training or relaxation of, of other kinds. And it's kind of the missing Link, my mission is that hopefully 10 years from now, everyone in the West will know like common knowledge that, oh yeah, you have to train your nervous system on a regular basis. And right now there's millions of people involved in yoga and Qigong that that are enmeshed in the wonder of it. But even they don't have that simple little keystone idea that what we're involved in is we are training our nervous system. And that's why there are spiritual benefits and psychological benefits and physical benefits, because your nervous system runs your entire experience of living. It takes in all uh, sense and it does all commands. So when you improve the function of your nervous system, all these areas of life get simultaneous benefit. But in the Western world, and maybe every world, I never talk about spiritual benefit. And when we're, when we're talking to leads and clients, I stop at psychological benefit because I feel as, as the ambassador of nervous system training, once you cross that line, there are a bunch of people who are automatically going, there are people out there that feel if they do downward dog, it's going to take them away from their Christianity or whatever. Right. So my feeling is I like my job is to temper the message to invite the most people through the door into this world that I possibly can to remove the barriers for people. Absolutely. So they can that we that we promote the work, not the style, not the master, not the culture of origin, because there's plenty of them. Just spin the wheel and pick one. Yeah. Uh, and And I don't believe it really matters which discipline you pick. I, I, I've trained in enough of them 
where I think whatever one you want to do is the one you should do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you were sitting in front of your 43 year old self right now, so before the yoga, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe living in that apartment, not yet divorced in the middle of the ugliness not introduced to any of it. And you had the knowledge that you had now and you were sitting in front of that person. What would you say to him? I would say that if you're predominantly feeling emotional pain, focus on the physical side of nervous system training move feel if you're predominantly feeling physical pain you should focus temporarily predominantly on the emotional side you should get the book by dr john sarnow about Mm -hmm. uh get rid of back pain Mm -hmm. you should find a somatic experiencing person not necessarily a psychologist that's all up to you but i mean there are many disciplines that we don't have in our movement-based platform that are talk uh, word-based therapies but where you keep getting drawn to what it feels like in your body to experience particular emotions and doing that work has a miraculous way of making your physical pain go away. And doing the physical work has this miraculous way of making your emotional pain reduce. And I think by going after the opposite, we get a little glimpse into how immense this work really can be. And what do you think your response would have been? I think <laughs> my I think my response would be what it was that I, I said to myself, you know what? Um, if my yoga teacher is telling me I can benefit without breaking a sweat, I don't believe it, but let's give it a try. I think that to adopt a student mind temporarily, even because if you if you can't adopt a student mind, it means you've lost your capacity for curiosity. That it really is what it is. So even if you're uh, if you decide you're going to take a qigong class, and you're a kind of pretty conservative American person, and you walk in and there's incense and there's symbols and and it's like a little because there's all kinds of schools. Some look like uh, like a, a spa. Some look like it's some kind of exotic. Eastern temple. So no matter what you find, just say for the next 15 minutes, I'm just going to assume this person knows exactly what they're talking about. And I'm just going to do everything they say. Many of us get in a trap of learning something new so we can prove to ourselves that we already knew something. And this is a waste of your time. This is a waste of your time. I would say just as an ex, as a treat for yourself, because when you leave the class, you can always say, actually, that person doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. But just as an exercise, every time you walk into a class, just say for the next 45 minutes, hour, whatever it is, I'm going to just 
assume this person knows exactly what they're talking about. And I'm going to try whatever they tell me to try that doesn't feel like I'm going to hurt myself. Uh, as long as I feel safe, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to celebrate my ignorance. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the fact that no matter how much knowledge we have, even collectively as human beings, the sum total of human knowledge is a grain of sand on a vast beach of ignorance. We will never know everything there is to know. Most people feel anxiety about that. Hmm. What training the nervous system does, it, it, it invites you to relax and say, there's no way I can know everything. It is not possible. So why get nervous about it? What I can do is I can engage in what I'm doing. I can live my life right this second for real. I, I have um, a, a play on words about uh, don't fear death, fear the unlived life. But my, my version of that is I have plenty of time to be dead. <laughs> right now, I want to live in big heaping spoonfuls. And you can't get heaping spoonfuls in your mouth if you're already full. You, you must be curious. Take so much anxiety out of, out of your life. And uh, because being curious costs you nothing. It costs you nothing. Now, curiosity killed the cat. Of course, you have to keep things in balance and all the rest of this. But if you lose your sense of curiosity, all you're left with is that you're right. The best probably is behind you. If, if you're feeling that midlife crisis and saying, oh, my God, I think the best of my life is behind me. It means you're not curious anymore. And you're actually correct. If you are no longer curious, the best of your life is behind you because the best of your life is being curious. That is the best thing there is in life is to be curious about yourself, about the people you're involved with, about people that you might be involved with. I, I say, you know, we've been trying to create this um, uh, community of disciplines where all disciplines are equal. And we're dealing with many, many associations which are discipline centric. You know, ours is the greatest. We have 5,000 years of this and, and uh, 3,000 years ago, two guys split off and one went to that way. And that guy's not the real guy. The guy who went to the other city, he's the real guy back to the, you know, the real discipline. I'm a Western guy. To me, this is all just like, you guys have fun with that, <laughs> you know, whatever. I just want to move and, and I want to feel right now, right here. Um, and I want to invite people to do that. This lineage, that lineage, I don't, I genuinely don't care. And I respect that people do. And I try to be what I call the educated doorman. I know a lot about all these things. I know a lot about somatics and I can meet you and see who you are and say, well, I, I know eight or nine women that are master instructors that you probably want to try training with. That's no good. How about this one? How about that one? So I'm a, I'm a connector. I am not a, uh, that's why my podcast is not called somatic master because I'm just some guy. It's called somatic fanatic. I, I, I am very interested. My life is revolved around that, but just like football fans around the world are not on the field at the Super Bowl. We're, we're fanatics and we're into it. Uh, and that's my role is to encourage people that there's a wide variety of choices 
that training their nervous system by any means is a road toward less anxiety, less muscular tension, and and all the benefits that come from those two things, whether it's psychological benefits or less inflammation, less supplements in your spine, less high blood pressure, less well, as you as you reduce this what we call in Feldenkrais excess tonus, this this uh, permanent constriction as as you learn to release all that. Um, there are so many benefits in all ways. And, um, and the other thing I like to, my other role is to encourage people who are already in this world to try the other side. Most people are either solely in the gentle arts or solely in the martial arts. And I have learned that um, there is a tendency for people who are only on one side or the other of this exploration, that fighters who are training how to fight all the time, everything is a fight to them. Every, every unexpected thing is a fight. And for people only in the gentle arts, they get into this, uh, have a tendency to get into this strange belief that they are healing forever. I just met a woman in Sweden. I was doing training and she was saying how she had some unpleasant thing happen to her three years ago. And so she's still, she can't really have certain conversations, but her healing process is coming along very nicely. And I very gently said to her, well, can I offer another perspective from like the martial arts perspective? If you had cut your arm three years ago and we were sitting here talking and your arm was bleeding, would you tell me that your healing process is coming along very nicely? I said, you can get into a habit in the gentle arts only where what people call the healing process is really a mislabeled idea that they're in a permanent state of healing now. And I call that building a shrine to your pain, not healing. Healing from the martial arts perspective is a, it's a phenomenon that has a beginning middle and end. And once that healing has happened, now your goal is heading back toward thriving. But so I encourage people only in the gentle arts to do some martial arts training, not hard forms, but, but sensitivity based martial arts um, and vice versa. I encourage martial artists to do training on a regular basis in the gentle arts, because each of them give us a different sense of self. The gentle arts give us a sense of self that is spiritually grounded, and the martial arts give us essential a sense of self which is about being a wiggling, squiggling creature alive on this planet right now. And who do you think you are, my friend? Which the gentle arts don't put in us. And I think a, a full exploration of who we might be able to be requires exploration on both sides of that equation. Yeah, we talked about this with a research, compassion researcher, Dr. Kristen Neff, and her two sides of the compassion equation, which for her are tender compassion and fierce compassion. And this, again, boils down to everything always boils down to, in my mind, the Tai Chi symbol, the yin yang symbol, there's always a seed of one in the other. There's always a seed of white in the black. There's always a seed of black in the white. There's always a seed of gentleness in the tough. There's always a seed of tough in the gentle. And sometimes we have to put them there if we've eliminated them. And I think that that's crucial. We are at the top of an hour. Very good. Very good. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I think that 
the message about curiosity and the message about spending time in a different area than where you're suffering at the moment. So if you're suffering physically, sometimes go to the emotional stuff. And if you're suffering emotionally, sometimes go to the physical stuff is something we talk about a lot on the podcast. I very frequently tell people to change their environments before we get to their body at all like paint your walls and make your house the way you like it before we even touch the rest. Because I believe that your sensory experience, even outside your body also has a massive impact on how you're able to somatically experience the rest of it. So this is, this is really in line with, um, with what we teach and what we're here to explore. So for everybody who just listened to this and thought, how the hell do I find him? How the hell do they find you? Somatic Fanatic uh, is our brand new YouTube channel. Uh, the the one that was written on your sheet is my last YouTube channel. You can check that out because that's a lot of fun. The last YouTube channel I had uh, was called Emergency Fish Party. That is all about nervous system training, but much more guys being guys with guys kind of version <laughs> of it. Somatic Fanatic is really now uh, my official hub for exploration. Every single episode is aimed at a certain type of person we're speaking to, a certain type of problem. Every episode has a master instructor I'm interviewing at length. And every single instructor that appears on uh, the channel must provide a full free class that we provide a link to cool. in the description. So anybody that you see speak, you can do, do a full 45 minute to hour class with them absolutely free. And uh, that's where to find me, Somatic Fanatic, uh, the book by the same title, but YouTube is the place where it's all going to be going down for a long time to come. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as per usual, fried fans, all of that information will be in the show notes for you. So if you're worried about not being able to spell somatic fanatic or remember somatic fanatic, even though it's pretty easy, it pretty easily rolls off the tongue and should be easy to remember. But just in case, everything will be in the show notes for you as per usual. And if you are going through some shit right now and you're thinking, I'm going through some shit and I'm doing it all by myself, do not forget to come hang out with us in the Facebook group because we are over 700 people strong, hanging together, supporting each other, being there. And I know personally, because I've invited them in about 40 people that do somatic work at least. So we're talking over 20% of the people that are in the group know things about somatic work. Um, so we can support you there as well. And I will be sharing Somatic Fanatic, the YouTube channel in the group as well, because I think that it is an excellent resource. Dan, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks very much, Kate. I really appreciate the invitation. And I just got to say, as a, a fellow propagandist, I love your phrase, bounce back ability. Thank this you. is an amazing word you've come up with here. And I think it's going to lead a lot of people toward great training that's going to impact their lives in a positive way. Thank you so much. And, and for everybody out there, I was really proud of the title bounce back ability, the bounce back ability factor. When I wrote my book, I did find out, unfortunately, that someone else used it first in 1973, nine years before I was born. <laughs> that was a little disappointing. I did not, in fact, coin the term, but I wish that I did. Um, so, yeah. But yes, thank you for that, because I love it, too. It's such a it's such a joyful space, I believe. And it is exactly this sort of in and out of par parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system action that we're talking about. It's that's what bounce back ability is. So we're all we're all again, like you said, we're all talking about the same stuff and we all need each other. And it's OK to use different methods in different ways. But thank you again for being here, fried fans. Thank you for listening. And 
We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.